sad to interrupt that song service. I see myself as every Sunday the guy that, that interrupts the song service somewhere. But I'm excited to be with you this morning. I'd like us to turn to Ecclesiastes, the 11th chapter. Um, consider eight verses that I like to entitle as Solomon's Spiritual Investment Strategy. Solomon's Spiritual Investment Strategy. Uh, because Solomon's talking and speaking of investments in these, these eight verses. We're going to talk about a variety of different kinds of investments um, that we all can understand. Perhaps most of us have experienced or witnessed firsthand. Uh, but Solomon begins in Ecclesiastes 11 and 1 saying, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, and also to eight. For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree falleth toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. He that observeth the wind shall not sow. And he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. And thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. Let's pause there. Solomon's describing a a really counterintuitive survival strategy here. He says, I want you to take the situation of a man that has a loaf of bread, or that is what he is to eat, the food that he's eating, Now, we don't eat bread that much anymore, but it was common practice during the time of Solomon, and really, by the way, up until about the last 200 years, that people would carry around loaves of bread, and that's what they would eat. That's why people were so undernourished, by the way, and why life expectancy was rather low, because people just ate bread all the time. It was pure carbs. And so Solomon, he looks at the man that has bread, and he says, take your bread and cast it out on the water for you're going to find it again after many days. makes absolutely no sense. So I want you to take your loaf of bread, that which sustains you, the food that you eat, break it up in pieces and throw it out in the water because you're going to find it again. This seems to be in reference to one of two things. First, this was a practice that the Philistines would have observed in their idol worship of Dagon, the fish god. They would have taken bread, they would have broken it up in pieces, and they would have thrown it out upon the ocean as an offering to Dagon. Now Solomon's obviously not talking about worship, idol worship here. You'll observe throughout the rest of Ecclesiastes that he condemns the practice of idol worship, as, and as we hope he would. You know, this is the book of Ecclesiastes in the scriptural canon. But he says, break up, break up your bread in pieces and throw it out on the water if you're going to find it again after many days. This is also in reference, I believe, to a story at that time where a sailor who was cast at sea, who was cast at sea, he takes the bread that he had in his boat, he breaks it up in pieces, and he throws it out in the water. And there's a ship nearby that sees the pieces of bread floating in the water and that comes and rescues that sailor. So Solomon's using an analogy here that he knew people would understand. But still, what is he explaining? He's saying, take your bread that sustains you, that what you eat, break it up, and I want you to throw it out in the water. Common sense would tell us that we would never see that bread again. 
It's going to become waterlogged. It's going to sink. The fish are going to eat it. No one's ever going to see it again. And by the way, if you throw bread in the water, you'll notice this. It doesn't take that long for it to disappear. It breaks apart. It disappears. And you, you don't see it any longer. But Solomon says, break, break this bread up. Cast it out on the water for you're going to find it again after many days. He is describing to us a spiritual investment strategy. We're going to talk more about what that means. But Solomon wants us to take something we currently have and cast it out to the waves, not realizing whether or not we're going to reap a return. This is not a way that we invest today, by the way. If you're wondering how to preserve uh, your financial well-being, don't take your money and invest it somewhere where you're not entirely sure whether or not you're going to reap a return. This is not something that we would typically do. We don't take our money and cast it out into the water and just hope that we'll find it again after many days. But Solomon says in a spiritual sense, this is what I want you to do. He says, give a portion to seven and also to eight. He says, when you're feeding these people with your bread that you've thrown out of the waters, he said, don't just give a portion to seven. Give liberally and generously. He says, don't just give a portion to seven. Give a portion to eight as well. He says, for you don't know what evil shall be upon the earth. That is what Solomon's saying. Don't be stingy with what you have because you can't anticipate what may come tomorrow. So he says, here's the principle that you act upon. Just give liberally. Take what you have and don't just distribute it to seven. Distribute it to eight. Don't just rip up half your loaf of bread and throw it out in the water. He says, take the whole loaf, rip it all up in pieces and throw it out in the water. He says, if the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. This is the evil that Solomon's talking of. He says, you don't know what's coming tomorrow. He says, the clouds may be full of rain and they may empty themselves upon the earth. He says, you can't avoid that. He said, if the tree falls toward the south or toward the north... And the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. We all understand this. If a tree falls, we can't sit there and mind will that tree to fall in a different direction than it's going to fall. That is simply not the way the world works. And here's Solomon's point. And this will become more relevant as we continue to discuss these series of verses. There are things beyond our control. But that doesn't negate the principles of spiritual investment and generosity that Solomon is discussing here in this passage. He says, He that observeth the wind shall not sow. Solomon's using a farming analogy. He says, if you're preparing to go sow your crops, and remember the way that crops would have been sown at this time. You would have gone out into a field of plowed earth that you would have hoed by hand, and you would have taken handfuls of seed, and you would have cast it upon the ground. Why did they do that? Because they didn't have genetically, biogenetically engineered seeds. There was such a low yield rate for all of the seeds that they planted that they simply took handfuls and they just cast them out upon the hoed ground. And Solomon says, well, you know, if you see the wind coming, that's not a good time to sow. Why is that? Because if you take a handful of seeds and you throw it out in the wind, it's just going to be scattered everywhere. It's not going to land on the ground that you tilled. And he says, but the wind's beyond your control. Don't let this negate the fact that I'm telling you to take this bread, break it into pieces, and cast it out upon the waters. He says, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. 
That is, if someone was prepared to harvest their crops, they didn't do so in the rain. Because of the types of grains that would have been harvested, they're just ruined by the water. So Solomon says, if you observe the wind, if you observe the clouds, that's going to inhibit your ability to reap your crops. It's going to inhibit your ability to break this bread into pieces and cast it out on the water. He says, you don't know what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child. Two of the most miraculous mysteries that we can observe on the face of the planet. The movement of the Spirit of God and the conception of a small child. Two of the most mysterious things that we can ever observe. Solomon says, you don't know how either of those events work. You don't know how the Spirit of God moves or how a small baby is formed in the womb of its mother. He says, and you don't know the works of God who maketh all. So here's Solomon's point. Take your bread, break it up, cast it upon the waters. You don't know whether it's going to come back. Do it anyway. Take your seed, cast it out in the field, and wait for a crop. You don't have control over the wind. Take out your sickle. Go and harvest the increase that you observe in your field because you don't know when the rain is going to come. It says, make the sacrifice anyway. Remember what we're talking about. We're talking about the the practice that the Philistines have of sacrificing to their pagan god. Obviously, again, Solomon's not talking about doing this here, but he wants to make those to whom he's writing think about what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to take the bread that you have and I want you to sacrifice it to your God. And there's no guarantee that you're going to receive a return. He said, you don't, can't rationally comprehend how the bread that you throw out in the ocean is going to return to you. Because remember, what do we understand about bread? It's going to sink. It's going to deteriorate. It's going to break apart. But Solomon says, do it anyway. Take your seed, throw it out in the field. Take out your sickle, go and harvest your crops because you're seeking a return from the Lord regardless of the circumstances that you were in. Now, I want us to go to the New Testament. Romans chapter 12, the passage with which many of us are familiar because Paul is still commanding the same type of sacrifice that Solomon is in Ecclesiastes 11. We're going to spend a few minutes in the first three verses. I want to make sure that we connect the two passages that we're reading here because they're distanced by dissimilar language and also, by the way, thousands of years. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. A verse that we've all heard. Take your body, and I want you to sacrifice it before God. Not literally. It says metaphorically, I want you to take the entirety of your being and I want you to be willing to lay it before God and engage it in his service. That's loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. That's taking your body and offering it up as a living sacrifice. He says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So Paul is also commanding a sacrifice. He's not using, a, not using the analogy of bread cast out upon the waters. But he's saying the same thing. He's saying, I want you to take what you have in the present, and I want you to dedicate it to a return that you anticipate in the future. 
There are multiple examples of sacrifice in the Old and New Testament. Think about what the Israelites did under the Mosaic Law. They took their prized possession, their prized lamb, their prized cattle, their prized, uh, prized and purchased pigeon, if they were poor, and they would sacrifice it before God. They sacrificed something they had in the present in a pursuit of the commands of God. We're still being called to do the same thing. Nothing's changed, by the way. God came and He fulfilled the law and He says, I want you to continue to sacrifice. It's just going to be in a different way. Continue to employ this principle of sacrifice. He says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Verse 3, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. The last phrase again. He says, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. A crucial element of the sacrifice that we're being commanded to make in this passage is that it must involve faith. Sacrifices in the name of God must be made in faith. And here's why. And here's why it ties directly into the statements of Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Our minds and our flesh cannot teach us Why we would take our bread and cast it out upon the waters and see it after many days. Faith does that. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is what allows us to hope that when we break our bread up in the name of God and cast it out upon the waves that we might see it again one day. Faith is what allows us to understand that. It doesn't make sense to our minds. It's not something that we can easily comprehend. It's faith that allows us to understand this. And Paul says, continue to present your body as a living sacrifice in faith. Because I assure you, as we go on to read Romans chapter 12, there's no guarantee that we're going to see the returns from our investments. There's no guarantee that when we exercise our spiritual gifts in the church, we see fruit in abundance return that the Lord has blessed us with that we observe manifestly. Now, let's continue to read. Paul says, For we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. He's transitioning to talk about spiritual gifts. I believe you guys here at Bethlehem heard a sermon on this here recently. In the church, we're of course one body, but we don't all have the same role. We don't all have the same functions. We don't have the same gifts or predispositions or personalities or appearances or ways of speaking or ways of interacting with each other. We're all so diverse and different. He says, so we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members of another. We may all be different, but Christ draws us together in the church and makes us one body. He says, we also have gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Paul says all of our gifts, again, are different, they're varied, and they're distinguishable. And he says, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to what? According to the proportion of faith. 
Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. What is prophecy? Prophecy is wisdom. Prophecy is the ability to look at the present situation of someone and advise them, instruct them, and tell them where their actions will lead them. I think that's one of the ways that wisdom most commonly manifests itself in the New Testament church, specifically in the lives of young people. And they need those that are wiser and older than themselves to look at their current situations and look at their actions and tell them where they are headed. We need that in the New Testament church. We need it so badly. And that's what prophecy is here. But it requires faith. Because you're taking the bread that you currently have. You're taking what you currently have in your hands and what you know with your mind. And faith elucidates and illustrates where your actions may lead. I don't know how many times a wise person blessed with the spiritual gift of prophecy has intervened in my life and said, observe your actions and here is where they will lead. Because Scripture is clear that that type of gift is dispensed to many in the New Testament church. That type of gift is dispensed liberally because it's of an absolute necessity. It doesn't say let us prophesy according to the proportion of our intelligence. It doesn't say let us prophesy according to the proportion of our education. It doesn't say let us prophesy according to the proportion of our income. It says let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Because faith is what allows us to see the bread that we will reap from the bread that we cast out upon the waters. And the wisdom that is dispensed now by those often older or simply wiser than ourselves often reaps a return in the lives of those to whom it is given. That is, when wisdom, when a wise person takes their bread, they break it up in pieces and they throw it out to those around them. Often they see the return, and they see the return in the bettered and well-structured lives of those that they have given wisdom to. But here's the lesson to, to the wise people in the room. I know there's some here because many of you have given me wisdom. Don't be afraid to cast your bread upon the waters. Because often it seems to us as if the bread that we cast out is not going to return. And because of the imperfect world in which we live, often it does not. That's why Solomon still encourages us to continue to cast our bread. Continue to throw your seed. Continue to go reap your crop. Because he says sometimes the wind may come and it may scatter the seed that you throw out. He says sometimes the rain may come right when you're in the middle of harvesting your crops and all of that's ruined. But he says, continue to do it anyway, because you don't have control over the wind. You don't have control over the rain. We don't understand the movement of the spirit of God. We don't understand how a baby has grown in the womb of its mother. We don't understand any of those things. He says, still continue to cast our seed. Let's read in verse seven or ministry. He's changing gears here, a different spiritual gift or ministry. Let us wait on our ministering. He says, sometimes when you take your bread of ministry, you break it into pieces and you cast it out now, you don't see it for a long, long time. Sometimes when you take your seed and you throw it out upon the well-tilled ground, 
it takes a long time for you to see those little green shoots begin to pop up through the earth. He says, sometimes you go out to harvest and the rain ruins it all and you simply have to wait for your crop to grow again. Ministry, let us wait on your ministry. Have you ever ministered in the life of someone? Ministry manifests itself in many, many forms. Maybe you visited someone while they've been ill. That's a form of ministry. Maybe you performed an act of service for someone. That's a work of ministry. But often when we minister to someone, we don't see the fruits of that ministry for a long, long time. That's why Paul says the most important characteristic that any minister can have in the church is patience. Because they minister in someone's lives and it takes a long time for them to see the effects of that. Here's another one. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Paul says if you're going to teach, you're also going to have to wait on your teaching. I love this one. Done a lot of tutoring. Maybe even some athletics tutoring. We won't talk about that. Um, And often when you teach someone a skill, it takes a long, long time for that teaching to manifest in the way that they behave. Training a child into a well-functioning adult seems to take many, many, many years. It takes many years of patient teaching, line upon line, precept upon precept. And Paul says, if you want to be able to teach someone, you have to wait. And again, we're waiting on what? The bread that we've cast upon the waters to find us again in many days. That requires faith, again. Because you make an investment now, and you're waiting a long time to see the return. Again, we do this in a financial sense. We set a portion of money aside, and we know that it's going to grow at a certain rate. We set our money aside in a bank account, and we know the minimal rate of interest that's being paid on that account of the bank. We understand that. And Paul says, I'm challenging you to do the same thing. But instead of understanding that you're going to receive a rate of interest on this money you have in the bank, I want you to believe by faith that God is going to honor the investment that you have made in the kingdom of God. He says, and even if it's not honored, when the wind comes and it scatters your seed, when the rain comes and it ruins your crop, I want you to continue to minister, to teach, to prophesy, to invest, to break your bread up and cast it out upon the waters anyway. Because I assure you, there's a return coming. There is a return coming. As a consequence of a sacrificial life that we observe in Scripture. Okay, and it's not ours. Because we don't sacrifice that well. We begin to teach someone. We spend a little time ministering in the life of someone. Maybe we, we send some wisdom in the direction of some foolish young person. And we don't see the fruits of that investment. And years and years and years creep on and we begin to grow discouraged. We begin to grow tired of investing in the lives of those around us. And so we just stop. We stop teaching. We stop ministering. We stop exhorting. We, start lo- we stop loving. We stop dispensing mercy. We stop, stop giving with simplicity. All of the other spiritual gifts Paul talks about in Romans 12. And then the bread doesn't come back. It never comes back because we've started worrying about the wind. Well, what if I go out and I start sowing my crop now and the wind blows it all the way? You know what happens if we never go out and sow seed? I can assure you that we're never going to see a crop. But if we brave the wind, 
If we brave the elements of this world that discourage us from pressing into the kingdom of God and we sow our seed anyway, sometimes we'll start to see those little green shoots pop up through the earth. We start to see that obstinate child whose name was Magnilhoni at three years old start to behave and sit still in church. We start to see the fruits of our ministry in other people's lives. And there's only been one person that's ever done that throughout their entire lifetime. Jesus Christ was that person. And when Paul, said, when Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us, what he meant was the bread that we break up and cast upon the waters is, and we never see again is going to be fully justified when we arrive in heaven with Christ one day. Because we're going to be enjoying the benefits of a sacrifice that was made perfectly. So my challenge to us this morning is let's continue to offer up our bodies as living sacrifices. Let's continue to minister. Continue to teach. Continue to exhort. Continue to offer wisdom and prophesy. Because the winds come. The rain comes. Sometimes we don't see the bread again but remain faithful in casting your seed. Because even if we don't receive the benefits now, we'll receive the benefits of sacrifice someday. It's coming soon.